words on water. Storm Sensor is transforming the way cities manage stormwater by harnessing the power of AI. Urban flooding puts every community at risk, both within and outside map flood zones. Meanwhile, most storm and sewer systems are outdated, inefficient, and especially vulnerable to the catastrophic effects of heavier and more frequent rains. Storm Sensor is a combination of hardware and smart software used to address these issues and streamline actionable insights for cities. Their end-to-end -end solution involves high-resolution networks of affordable sensors that provide real-time diagnostics to identify problem areas in sewer infrastructure, allowing cities to mitigate and eliminate risks of flooding, tidal surges, and overflows. Storm Sensor has proven early effectiveness in large urban areas like Detroit, Jersey City, Boston, and Norfolk. For more information, visit www.stormsensor.com. Dot io. Welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop. We are going to be talking about stormwater for this episode, always a very popular and important topic. I am joined by Erin Rothman. She is CEO and founder of Storm Sensor. Erin, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So we, we talked before, and uh, I thought you had a pretty interesting story uh, about stormwater and how you realized that stormwater systems need to really take a, take a technology leap uh, and kind of get into the sensor world. Could you tell, tell that story for folks? Sure. Uh, well, my background was environmental consulting, so I first got engaged in stormwater um, as part of another company. And in doing that, uh, realized how inefficient it was to send guys out to the field to the sample when it was raining at the office. Um, so years later, um, and I, you can tell me how much detail you want me to go into, but years later, I decided to found a company that addressed some of those issues. Uh, our initial focus was building sensors that monitored a variety of parameters, focusing on industrial and construction site use. Um, and then as I started speaking to cities, I realized, or rather they told me, that they didn't need all of these parameters. What they needed was to understand how much water is actually moving through their systems in the first place. Uh, so if I could just focus on flow, and if I need a water quality parameter, uh, I can do temperature. And I realized that by removing all of those other chemical, chemical parameters, what we did was significantly reduce, if not eliminate, the maintenance required for the sensors. We could dramatically reduce the price. We could significantly increase the battery life. And if we could figure out how to communicate in real time, we could deploy networks of like 50 or 100 sensors at a time to really target different hotspots and understand how water is moving through these systems and track the variability within these systems for the first time. So long and, story short, we did that. <laughs> and so 
you, you know, you kind of heard from cities about what they wanted. Very, just very interested in flow. Um, could you could you expand on that? What what did they want to know about flow, and and why was that really their their kind of like sole priority? Well, if you think about all the utilities that we have, we have gas and power, electric and water and sewer, and then we also have stormwater. Stormwater is kind of left behind, and yet it's the one system that manages all of the rain that falls all of the time. Most of the systems that we have right now are 80 to 100 years old. They're past, they're at or past their lifetime um, or active lifetime. The capacity that they were designed to handle was for populations that were, again, 80 to 100 years ago. And now we have much bigger cities with a lot more usage going into these systems, whether it's combined. So you have both sanitary and sewer or stormwater within the systems, or if it's just stormwater, all that additional concrete means more runoff. In addition to that, we're also dealing with heavier and more frequent storm events. So all of that combined means that our systems are not designed to handle the volume of water that they are handling right now. And if they were designed to do that, we designed the, all of that based on models, not based on actual data. And the, the inputs to those models are changing on an almost annual basis right now. So being able to actually cap to capture empirical data, real data that's actually, um, so you understand what's really happening inside these systems at all times in real time to really watch how water is moving through, identify where you have capacity issues, where you have failures, where you have backups before it becomes a flood or an overflow or some major issue that you have to deal with in your city. That's a huge boon for communities, especially if you can do it cost effectively. Sure. Um, so what uh, what will a city do then if they have this type of information? You kind of just hit on some of those pieces there, but uh, what makes it actionable? Uh, and then what actions do they can they take with this type of monitoring? Certainly. So, you know, there's one risk that if you have all this data, you just have a bunch of data. So <laughs> one of the things that we do is work really hard with our customers to identify what insights they need or they want to see from this data. So um, some of the basic summary information that we provide across the entire system is uh, capacity issues. So you understand if you're below or at or consistently above capacity at any particular points in your system. We look at base flow conditions. Um, we can provide notifications for combined sewer overflows, uh, critical depths, so urban flooding. And all this, again, is starting within the system. So before you even see it above ground and before the community sees it, you can address it. Um, looking at IDDE and illicit discharges, so we provide notifications for dry weather flow, um, being able to address those as they're happening and actually track the source of IDDE or INI whatever you want to call it, um, helps you and then you're able to maintain the system around it that helps you maintain the system and extend the lifespan of these pipes. Um, so a lot of it is on short term, um, so it's responsive. Uh, some of it is more trend analysis and long term and incorporating uh, overall system operations and system variability and capacity issues again um, into long term capital improvements and being able to target specific areas first. And then with the predictive analytics that we're building, um, also looking at backflow and tidal intrusion and other issues like that, um, really helping people prior to emergency events or any kind of event really plan in advance and then respond in real time when they need to. Yeah, so as, as you know, these type of sensors have been out there, 
what are what are utilities learning um you know about about a lot of these things you've talked about about their capacity and about their base flows have there been any real you know interesting discoveries and revelations and and all that uh, there have been one or two interesting points that have come up uh, we're installed in Norfolk, Virginia right now. Uh, they knew they had capacity issues within their system because sea levels risen there a foot and a half over the last century. Um, and then they're also dealing with pretty regular flooding. So we're part of our, our assessment is backflow analysis. Uh, but we've also identified that a significant portion of their system is more than 75 or 80 percent full on average. Wow. So not during storm events and not during high tide, just always. Um, so that really highlights. That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't give them a lot of wiggle room there, right? Exactly. Yeah. But it's really good. It's one thing to have a feeling. It's something else entirely when you can point to the data and prove it. Um, so they're able to take action based on that. Uh, in Memphis, we're able to work with the city and uh, university down there to kind of get a start on a model validation study because they were dealing with a great deal of flooding. And we had, because we install our networks um, for at least a year, it's a minimum of near a year, so you get the full year's worth of data. Uh, for the first time, they had detected something unusual in their system whereby all of a sudden you had five feet of water in a 10-foot pipe during a sunny day flowing mm -hmm. backwards. And they said that this is impossible. All of our sensors were uh, notifying critical depth and it didn't make any sense. Uh, so they called us and told us the sensors were broken. We asked them if they could kindly go out and take a look at what was going on. And uh, they confirmed that there was in fact five feet of water flowing backwards through their pipes. Uh, so they talked to the guys at the plant on the Mississippi River and they said, yeah, every time the river hits a certain stage, we open up the gates and use the system for storage. But you're telling me that water goes a mile into the system? We had no idea. So that's another example, like you just don't know. And if you don't know, you can't act on it. So just by simply closing the gates when river's high and a storm's coming, they're able to open up capacity within the system that they didn't have before. Um, and then we have things like siphons or clogs, so water's shooting backwards through a pipe instead of going the other direction, all kinds of things that you would never have any idea because it's all you know 20 feet underground. One of the things I think you, you said that's interesting is the idea of like, you know, targeting where these go and clustering them and not just blanketing an entire system. Could you expand a little bit about on on why that's an effective approach? Obviously, it's probably more efficient, um, but but yeah, why is that useful? Totally. So if there are two ways to look at it. On a model validation study, a lot of times a blanket approach to really understand how each of those sub-basins are performing is valuable. However, a lot of cities have some of these issues. They have backups in uh, and, and you know basement flooding in certain neighborhoods on a regular basis. They have backups or flooding or overflows in other neighborhoods. So if you know you have a problem but you can't track it until it's too late, it makes sense to be able to focus a network in one area and solve that problem first. And once you've got that problem resolved, you can expand the network elsewhere um, and kind of knock things off one thing, one 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 priority area at a time. It's like um, following the 80-20 rule, you solve 80% of the problem by addressing 20% or 20% of the issue. Sure, sure. Uh, when we talked before this podcast, there's a couple other interesting areas that you said that these kind of sensors are useful. Uh, and I, I, I was really fascinated to talk about them. Green infrastructure. Um, how can you use sensors like this to, to monitor 
you know, the effectiveness of green infrastructure, which is really a, an important thing for utilities and cities to understand, um, you know, how, how well is this stuff working? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so green infrastructure is interesting because a lot of the systems or the green infrastructure projects are designed based on models. Um, but the objective of these green infrastructure projects is to ultimately remove water from the storm or combined sewer system and hold it and allow it to infiltrate into groundwater, if not treat it first. However, it's fairly uncommon for uh, people to look outside the green infrastructure project itself. So all the analysis and all the monitoring is often conducted within that green infrastructure project. What we do has worked with cities both before they install a project or construct a project, install a network of sensors to understand how much water is moving through and how that water performs during uh, storm events and looking at peak flows. And then construction begins, they implement the project, and then we evaluate and assess how well that uh, that project has benefited the storm system as a whole and really seen an overall more comprehensive improvement that way. Um, That's on one. And then one that I really want to do that we've not done yet is focusing on heat island impacts and using green infrastructure projects to reduce the volume, I'm sorry, the temperature of runoff because that Mm -hmm. hot water flowing into the storm system and then into surface waters acts as a pollutant as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, great point. That'd be very interesting to to start using it that way. Uh, You mentioned Norfolk and, and sea level rise and they're, they're like one of the worst hit communities right now in the country for sure. Um, could you talk about how sensors can be used in water infrastructure to to look at issues like sea level rise? Certainly. Uh, so we do this at a few different locations. Um, so there are the tide gauges, um, but we also do our own uh, I guess tidal monitoring both at the outfalls or near outfalls and then within the system itself. So we know that sea level rise has an impact, you know, on surface, on the surface, but really understanding how far back into these storm systems that tailwater is flowing from the oceans or impacted rivers um, and seeing how much capacity that takes up in the systems gives you a really important tool to understand exactly what you need to do to fix it or expand the capacity or move the water elsewhere. Um, because we're expected to see some pretty significant risks as a result of sea level rise on properties across the southeast in particular. Um, Mm. This has been a pretty big focus area for us. So we're also looking at some projects right now in Florida to address similar issues. Oh, yeah, very interesting. And certainly, like you said, only going to be on the increase uh, here as we go along, unfortunately. (laughs) Yes, Um, it is happening. aside, Aside from water utilities, what other applications do these type of sensors have? Well, the bulk of what we do, we do mostly work in stormwater and wastewater. Most of our uh, focus is on, um, like I said, I guess, like the storm systems, so closed systems. We do have some installations within pump stations, within retention and detention ponds, Mm -hmm. uh, using information that our sensors capture to monitor not just depth of water, but also the without the, the lack of the water, so the level of sediment accumulation within um, subgrade vaults or within these detention ponds that need to be cleared out. Um, so there are a variety of different applications. It's basically whatever we provide, <laughs> depth, velocity, and temperature sensors that are modular, you can use them however you want, and then our customers can get pretty creative as to how they want to configure those. 
Yeah. Speaking of creativity, I know that you've worked a lot with college students and, and universities. Um, and I wanted just to hear a little bit about what that experience is like and what value they bring to this whole effort. Certainly, that's been one of the more, well, my job is awesome, but among <laughs> the fun parts of my job, that's been one of the more fun parts. Um, so even way back at the beginning before we did anything, um, uh, the first thing I ever sponsored was a senior engineering capstone for University of Washington here in Seattle. And we had six engineering students to whom I posed the question of how do we build as many sensors as possible that cover as large an area as possible that can pull in data in real time from underground. So that was in 2016 and 2017. <laughs> That's how we came up with our first network. I ended up hiring two of those students to lead our hardware efforts. And one of them is now the head of our entire hardware department. Awesome. Uh, it's phenomenal. And that's how we built our first network and our first sensor. We are now working, uh, sponsoring two other senior engineering capstones, one at University of Washington. I'm sorry, this is Washington State University. Uh, so one is working with us to build a local app for a storm sensor and it's a group of computer science students. And then we also have a group of electrical engineers who are building an ASIC chip for us that allows us to considerably shrink the size of the, the velocity sensor that we're working with. And then I'm also working with uh, Miami University, my alumni, um, for uh, working with their business consulting group. Hmm. Uh, so it's a group of an undergraduate students who are doing some pricing strategies for us for different software applications. Cool. And it's fun, it's great to get people who have no idea what you're doing because their mindset is different. They haven't been pushed down a track and have to stay in that track. They can see things that I can't see or that my team can't see because we've just been in it for so long. So it brings some new ideas and it's a lot of fun to work with uh, younger students. And then um, important point, if it's an undergraduate program, we get to retain the IP. If it's a graduate program, the university retains the IP. Ah, very interesting, cool. Well, Aaron, uh, like I said in the very beginning, stormwater is such a pressing issue. It's so uh, important and a lot of attention on it. I appreciate this information about, about what you're doing with Storm Sensor and all the perspective on, on uh, monitoring and looking at stormwater systems. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful, Travis. Thank you. Words on water. <laughs>